Hey everyone, thanks so much for tuning in to this week's edition of Bridge Podcast. I'm really pleased to say that through the wonders of modern technology, we're delighted this week to be joined by Sarah Power, who's in Nairobi. Hi, Sarah. Hi, good to be here. Yeah, it's really great that you've taken out some time uh, to join with us. So, lockdown is all over the world. Uh, what's it been like for you? Yeah, um, it has been, I think, up and down. Like at the beginning, we were feeling quite positive. We were like, yeah, I think you do try and kind of get yourself into a routine and you, I remember saying to people like, oh, we're fine because our kids are used to being on their own. Like we had so many times on the island when we didn't like, socialize with many people or school would be shut for weeks on end because of strikes. And so um, at the beginning of lockdown, I was saying, I was feeling a bit overconfident, I think, like, oh, we'll be fine. Um, but as the weeks turned into months and now um, it's kind of never ending, like they've announced that schools won't go back here until January. Oh, wow. So, yeah, so... <laughs> It now feels kind of like it's kind of thrown everything up in the air and um, the kids, the girls especially, are, are starting to feel that kind of lack of friendships with yeah. people they can see every day. And, um, you know, we, we moved to Kenya largely. One of the reasons was so that we could have more of a kind of social life community so that the kids could be stuck into a school. Um, and with that taken away, it's kind of, yeah, kind of pulled the rug out from under us. Yeah, yeah. Because like yeah, so for you guys, homeschooling, homeschooling was quite a big part of your life in Mayotte. And then... Cool. Well, they were in French school in Mayotte, um, but it would just be for the mornings. Yeah. So they'd be at home with us all afternoon. Um, we didn't really do much homeschooling, to be okay. honest. <laughs> it's all really um, <laughs> When Lucy came out, she helped us with homeschooling, but most of the time we just let them do their French school and then we just hoped for the best. <laughs> um, we gave them books to read in English and we thought... Hopefully you'll turn out okay. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Um, but but yeah, there was definitely a lot of like just being on our own as a family. Yeah. Um, but I think it's different when you're when when that's what you expect, you can handle it. But sure. when you're in a place where there's there's meant to be like more going on around you and the potential to mix with loads more people then it almost feels harder to not be yeah i mean that's a, that's a stretch isn't it now wait until january because the plan here is the government's announcement is all schools all back in september whether that will happen of course is is a different thing but thinking about like january whoa i know and that's not even definite. I mean, some people are saying, oh, even if they go back in January, it'll just be, you know, socially distanced. So they won't be able to have all the kids in the school at the same time, or they won't be able to do sports or other activities. And you just think, how, how on earth? Like, yeah, 
it's just it's hard not being able to make plans or know know how long anything will last i know when you can't like you say you can't really imagine what it's going to be like or how it's going to how it's going to pan out but instead of instead of let's trying to predict the future and what's going to happen let's go back into the past and talk about uh, you your where you were born and brought up you know your experience as a child your siblings that kind of stuff and um talk to us a little bit about you know if church is a part of your life what and what that was like okay um i was born in cornwall um and I don't really remember much about it because um, when I was four, I think it was like the day after my fourth birthday, that's what I've always been told, um, we moved from Cornwall up to Warwickshire, a little village called Wellsbourne near Warwick. Um, and that's where we lived until I was seven. And then when I was seven, we moved to Kenya, here to Kenya. So, yeah, I have I have quite vivid memories of those years, like starting school in in Warwickshire. Um, yeah, I have and like church life then, and our house, and the friends on our street, and. Um, so what? Why did you move? What What was the the moving from one, two, three places? Um, I think it was. My dad's job. Why? I, they'll probably like if my parents listen to this, they'll be like, "Why didn't didn't you know why we moved?" <laughs> um, but that's a good question. Why did we move from Cornwall to Warwickshire? Um, I guess it was yeah. No, I mean it must have been. My dad's a teacher. I'm not sure. It was like the 80s, and I'm sure it had something to do with not being able to find work and. Yeah, yeah. Um, down in the in the southwest and so um yeah so i guess we moved because of my dad finding a job up in the midlands um well then that's a jump to go from the midlands to to kenya yeah so then that was because my parents joined aim the mission organization and um felt that god was calling them to come out to Kenya to work at a school for missionary kids. So that's quite interesting because obviously then church is a part of your life. But what was your view of that as a as a, a child? I think you said you were seven or seven ish. Can you remember what your view of like going to to Kenya was? That must have just been like I don't know, crazy. I remember. I don't remember much like before in the kind of the build up to the move. I remember my teacher asking me to kind of tell the class about what I was doing. And it was when all the stuff was on the news about like the famine in Ethiopia in like 1989. Yeah. And so we had these, we had these posters or pictures up in the classroom of like the Ethiopian children and, you know, we should raise money or, or whatever. I don't know. I'm sure we weren't actually raising money at the age of seven, but, you know, there was a lot of talk about it. And I remember like my friends thinking, oh, you're going to go there. Like you're going to be with them. And, and I was like, I guess, I don't know. I mean, that's Africa. So, you know, you just have no idea, no concept. Like, yeah. 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 Um, 
I don't, yeah, I don't really, I mean, yeah, I don't remember like whether I was sad or excited. I think we, were, we probably just thought it was like a big adventure. Um, we found out that the school, even though it's in the middle of Kenya, is and is still is um, an American school. And so, you know, we obviously met with people who told my parents like what with what to expect and that we would be meeting a lot of Americans. And I think me and my brother and sister thought like, oh, that's going to be really cool. We're going to be with Americans. <laughs> Do you reckon they were thinking? Those kids were thinking, oh, that's really cool. We're going to meet some Brits about you guys. Yeah, probably, <laughs> but who knows? Yeah, but when we moved, um, I don't know. It's really hard to remember how I felt at the age of seven. Yeah, um, so, you, so when, but, when you got there, it was obviously like a completely different world in in a sense, wasn't it? Everything was, was different. Did it take you long to... To kind of get into that or i mean kids are dead resilient aren't they they just kind of get on with it so i'm guessing you were the same well yeah yes and no i think that kids are resilient but i think we often like we've noticed with our own kids and we can like talk about that maybe at some point but like we we kind of put that expectation on them of like yeah. oh kids will be fine yeah and and they're not all fine all the time you yeah. know they they're obviously all different and have their own struggles. Um, my, I remember my mum saying once, at, like looking back, because I don't really remember, but saying that I was the last of the three of us kids to really like settle in properly. Um, and you would have thought that it would be the oldest maybe, because my sister was 10. And so that's more of the age where people say, oh, it's difficult to move at that age. But um, for some reason, it, it took me longer um, to really like settle into the school and our new environment. Yeah. So I'm not sure why. Um, I definitely felt like an outsider because we were the only British family. Yeah. Um, everyone seemed to know what they were doing and be really confident. And um, I guess I always felt like I was trying to keep up with the other kids because they were all like it felt like they were further ahead than me. They were actually older than me. I was put in a class where everyone else was a lot older than me. So they all seemed to just know what they were doing better. And like sports was a big part of school life. And it just always felt like, I don't know, like the Americans were all so confident and yeah. outgoing. And I was this like shy little British girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that can be a bit intimidating, I suppose, can't it? Because you feel like if you're not like that, then you're not, as a, as a youngster, you're not fitting in. So I guess that's kind of like a spiral struggle, isn't it? Yeah. But saying that, I mean, I did have, I have really happy memories of, of my childhood and friends who I'm still in touch with now. And, you know, it obviously worked out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, it's a, you, lots of people go through struggles, but I suppose 
with with hindsight, it's always different with hindsight, isn't it? When you, when you're looking back, you can say now, well, yeah, you know, look, I came through it, and you know, I I've got great memories and, and friendships that have lasted this long, so that that's a positive. What talk to us a little bit about the impact or the 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 relationship you had with church and the difference between being a church person and becoming a becoming coming to Jesus yourself as an individual so um when we moved to Kenya we weren't really we were all of a sudden not really part of a church that's what's a bit strange about it um because we we lived on the school campus and it's a boarding school so we weren't boarding because our parents worked at the school but um, they kind of do like their own chapel service yeah. on a Sunday for the school students. And so it wasn't really like a real church. Um, and so all the way growing up, I, it was all kind of muddled together. School, my teachers at school, my friends' parents, um, and the people that were leading us in the church kind of time. It was all the same people, um, which... It's perhaps not the healthiest <laughs> way to do things. Um, so, but when we got there, I remember quite clearly realizing, oh, like if this is different because this school is very Christian. Like that was very different to what I'd experienced the first couple of years of school in England. And so every morning we'd have like a devotion time and all my classmates were talking about like the fact that they prayed and that they were Christians and that they, you know, followed Jesus. And I was at the age of seven, like, oh, I've been going to church, like in Bible clubs and stuff all my life. But I didn't really realize like, oh, you have to actually do something to become a Christian. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so... The first time it became kind of personal to me was the summer holidays after our first, we arrived there um, in time for like second term in January. And then in that summer holiday, six months later, because the school wasn't in, in session anymore, um, we went to like the local Kenyan church and she didn't understand anything. It was all in a different language. And they were, I remember they were praying in the service and I looked over at my mum and dad and saw that they were praying, like they had their eyes closed. And I was thinking, how can they be praying? They don't understand what they're saying. And then I thought, well, maybe I should pray too. And this was the first time I'd really prayed by myself. And I thought, well, what am I going to pray? Like, maybe I should pray the prayer that they talk about in school, that you pray to kind of confess your sins and ask Jesus into your heart and, you know, the, the sinner's prayer. Um, so that was the first time that I prayed that prayer. again and again like every night lying in bed because I was worried like what if it didn't work what if I'm not safe yeah um and I would ask my parents a lot of questions about like 
how can you really know for sure that you're saved? Yeah. Like, I think I had this sense quite early on of like, it's obviously you can say anything, but what does that actually mean inside? Um, you can go through the motions, um, but how do I know it's really real? And what if like God sees something in my heart that isn't what I'm saying on the outside? Um, and then um, being a very Christian school, um, I, I struggled then like in high school um, to kind of keep up with like they're all like I think I my understanding of Christianity was was wrapped up in like following the school rules and the way I saw like the the good kids the way that they would get treated and um kind of admired or you know put up on these like yeah, yeah. like silly like leadership positions or um be kind of awarded on stage and it was always like the kids that were the rule followers and like really nice to the teachers and everything like they were the ones who were told like oh they're, they're obviously walking with the lord and they're oh, obviously yeah. Yeah, yeah. good ones um and anyone else isn't um oh, wow. and i didn't really understand it at the time and i i'm still to be honest, like reflecting on it even now. Um, at the time, I didn't really understand what it was that made me so uncomfortable. Um, but I made a lot of silly choices in, in those years and many more after those years, um, which now I've, I've obviously come to learn and realize is a normal part of growing up. But I felt like in that school setting, it just wasn't allowed at all. It wasn't like as soon as you had made a mistake in the eyes of the, the school community, um, it was kind of like you were written off. As oh, having wow. like a That's it. You finished. Yeah. Like, oh, you're, you're a kid that struggles or like <laughs> you're not really, you know, walking with the Lord and... Oh. You know, we'll pray for you and we love you, but we just want to tell you that, you know, we're not really, I mean, I always put on an American accent when I um, talk about it, but um, I just did not, I did not experience grace in any way. And I didn't really understand what grace was, to be honest, even though I was being taught from the Bible every single day. That, that, that's um, fascinating, Sarah, that um, you didn't, your parents are working for a missionary organization. You're in a Christian boarding school surrounded by Christians. You are praying, um, doing daily devotionals. You know, you, you from to all intents and purposes, you, you are a, a, a Christian. However, all those kind of things, they're really difficult to process for someone that age, aren't they? Like that kind of, oh, never mind, you're not very good. That's like really tough, isn't it? And then to say, I never experienced grace in, in, in spite of all, I never really knew what it was, in spite of all, all that going on around you. 
Yeah, and I think I should point out that I'm sure it was like the message of the gospel, I'm sure was taught, like I'm sure it was preached. Um, I'm sure my parents had told me and explained it time and time again. But I think because in my heart, I was not, I hadn't understood it and I hadn't grasped it and I hadn't like experienced it myself. Yeah. I, I didn't hear it. I just, I yeah. just didn't hear it. Um, all I heard was, I don't know really <laughs> what the underlying message was. Um, well, but like, was it try harder, pull your socks up, be a, be a, um, was it that kind of thing implied? I don't know. I know that I, I knew that I wanted, I knew that I needed, oh, I don't know. I was going to say, I knew that I wanted to be a Christian, but I don't know how much I really, I don't really know how much I knew that I needed Jesus to save me personally because that came later on when that realization was like so real and so powerful and inescapable. Um, but I, I knew that I believed in him. I think I, I think I knew that there was something more than what the school was kind of showing me. Um, like we used to have baptismal services, like, like as part of the school term and I always used to watch the other kids and think, I need to do that. I know I need to do it. But I would not let myself, like, go forward or, you know, um, sign up to be baptized because I just thought, what's everyone going to think? They're going to look at me and think, what are you doing getting baptized? We know what you're up to or we know what you've done that's bad or that's, like... And so I always, that always stopped me. Like, I, I can't do it because what will they think of me? They probably think that I'm not a good Christian, so therefore I shouldn't be able to get baptized, which is obviously crazy. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> and so, but there, there was something going on. So like the very last Sunday of the last term of the last year of school before I left Kenya, I got baptized because I thought, if I don't do it now, when will I do it? Um, and I thought it's close enough to the end that like, <laughs> I won't care, I'll just do it right before the end. Um, so how old? So were there was definitely something, so I was 16. You come back to the UK then? Yeah, then I came back to the UK when I was 16. Um, but my parents actually stayed in Kenya. <laughs> okay. So how did that uh, work? How, did you, <laughs> when you, when you came back, what happened? So my sister is three years older than me. So she had already like gone back to the UK. Um, like ahead of me so like when we finished school we would go back to England and because we hadn't done A-levels or anything in the school 
here in Kenya. Um, so I kind of followed in her footsteps. So went back to England and lived with my aunt and uncle in Bristol. Um, and I went to a sixth form college there to do A-levels. And What A-levels did you do? I did English Lit, Theatre Studies and Law. Okay, were you any good? And, and yeah, it went <laughs> really well. <laughs> um, it was, I had a great time. I mean, it was the first time, you know, after those years of like never quite being good enough throughout the school here, I suddenly got to England and for the first time since I was seven, I was the same age as all my classmates. Yeah. So that made a huge difference. Yeah. Um, and instead of them thinking that I was like a bad kid with a bad reputation, um, I was suddenly like a good one. You know, I was suddenly like the one who hadn't experienced everything that they'd experienced at the age of 16. Yeah. And, um, and I just loved it. And because I felt comfortable, I unaccepted. I, yeah, I guess that helped me like want to achieve and want to, I mean, so yeah, so I did really well. I, and I, I loved studying for my A-levels and I just, yeah, but none of my friends were Christians. And I was going to say, <laughs> sorry. I was going to, yeah, just going to ask about that because when you came back, would you consider yourself as a, as a Christian when you came back at 16? And, and was the major part of your life then when you came back? No. So, so I had just been baptised yeah. <laughs> in the July. Um, and I had said, I'm going to go back to England and I'm really going to like shine my light. You know, I'm really going to like... <laughs> um, but that's quite a, a lot for a 16-year-old who's by themselves in a new city. Um, and, and who's so desperate to just fit in and make friends. Um, and also enjoy the freedom that was such uh, in stark contrast to what I'd felt like in the school I was in, where it was just all like almost claustrophobic, like crushing, like living in a bubble all your life. Um, and so I remember the first day at this sixth form college, I was so excited. Like I didn't know a single soul and I was so happy. Like, I was so happy to have a fresh start and just be, like, free. Like, be, um, yeah, I just, I loved it. Um, I mean, there were definitely times. Like, I definitely missed my mom and dad. Um, but I just, I thoroughly enjoyed, like, enjoyed life. And then from then on, that's where it kind of, I, I didn't know where to stop like so I started like going out with my friends and um, I just wanted to experience more and more of it so like the whole like going out scene um, became part of, of life from then on basically like um, starting in sixth form and then going on into uni. Um, so that's that's like fast forward a little bit. So you, you do A levels, you you're just like, you know, reborn, really excited, looking forward to everything. Um you do well at A levels, 
and then you end up in Liverpool. How 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 is it Liverpool? What what happens there? And then what's uni life like? So I did a gap year before, like in between A levels and uni. Yeah, I came to Liverpool again with an intention because I knew in the back of my mind, like, oh, I've really been messing up quite a lot. I'm, I really should like get my life back on track. I haven't been living like a Christian. And so I arrived in uni, arrived at um, Derby and Rathbone. Oh, yeah. Halls. The halls are right um, Yeah. And, and I was like, okay, I'm going to start again. Like I've had no Christian friends. Um, this whole time but now I'm going to find the Christians I'm going to find the CU and I'm going to start like trying to be good again um, I'm gonna you know resist the temptation to drink too much and I'm going to resist everything else that came along with it um, but, but again the friends that I made from day one weren't Christians or the girls who are in halls with me and I just felt accepted by them and had a great time. And I couldn't, I had no like self, I guess I just lacked that kind of like self-confidence or that security to stand up for what I believed. I just wanted to go with the flow and um, didn't really have any self-control <laughs> to be honest. Um, so from, from day one, I just was, like that first year of uni um, was again just my life didn't look any different to anyone else's. Um, I didn't. I definitely didn't look like a Christian at all. Yeah. So what happened next? And then in the summer between first and second year, I was at home. My parents, by this point, were um, back in the UK, and we lived in Bristol. Um, and I was, so I was at home in Bristol and I mean, I always have so much drama going on. Like I just like chased drama. I was almost addicted to it. Like I was always addict. I was almost addicted to the thrill of like in and out of relationships with boys and just, I couldn't, it's like, it was like, I couldn't stop myself. Um, and so there was always something going on that would be like a disaster or a heartbreak or, and so I remember I was in my bedroom in Bristol and I was really devastated about something, whatever the latest drama had been. Um, it was like, I knew I wanted to find a way out of the way I was living, but I just didn't know how, because I thought, well, I'm so far gone now, but how am I gonna get back? Um, my mum actually took me that same, I don't know if it was the same, it was the same summer, definitely. I don't know if it was like the day before this happened, um, but she took me to like a ladies meeting at their church in Bristol and the speaker we had known from actually the church that we went to in Warwick like years ago. And she came over to me and said, oh, how's life in Liverpool? Have you found a good church there? And I just burst into tears. Um, and she was really kind. I didn't really say anything. I was just crying. And she said, yeah, I've heard that Liverpool's a really tough place. And I was like, what? Like, no, it isn't. Like, this mess that you're seeing is, is me. It's nothing to do with Liverpool. Um, but because she was so kind, 
it was like it started to break me a little bit like it was you know she didn't there was no condemnation or judgment from her it was just real like love and compassion um and so I think that's probably what kind of started the chipping away at my heart and um anyway so go back to like being in in my bedroom in Bristol and I remember like I knew in my head we can always go back to God no matter what he's always there for us we can always like return to him Mm. and yeah I felt like I was in the bottom of a pit I honestly like couldn't it sounds cliche but I couldn't describe it in any other way I just felt like I want to climb out of it but I have no idea how to get out because everything in my life all my friends like all the choices I've made it's all wrapped up in this way of life that is not following Jesus and not honoring him and not glorifying to him and so it was like I didn't know how I didn't have any Christian friends to turn to I wasn't part of regular like church goer so I didn't really know where to go my parents must have been there I think I just felt like I'd disappointed them so much um I think our relationship was quite fraught at times in my late teens and early 20s like um because I mean I was terrible I was such a mess um so yeah that was the beginning of me like telling saying to god i want to come back to you um but it didn't happen overnight like even though i know that he does forgive us straight away and immediately i just there was just still so much rubbish that needed to be dealt with so i went back to liverpool for my second year um And I think, again, I would always say it'd be kind of like a a resolution again, like, okay, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop going out drinking. I'm going to pull myself together. Um, I'm going to find the CU. Like, (laughs) I'm going to, but again, I just, I just just fell back into like my old ways and my old habits because it was so much as part of life. and the opportunities were always there, um, right in front of me. And so um, it wasn't until then. So in that first term of second year, that's when I met Chris. That's when I first met him. But he doesn't remember meeting me then, I don't think. <laughs> okay. Um, but I did get dragged along to church at, at some point in that term. Um, So I think I may have come to bridge maybe once or twice in that first term of second year. Um, But it was always such an effort because it was like, 
oh, I'm going to have to phone the Christians and they're going to ask me where I've been the last few weeks. And usually I'm like too hungover to want to go to church on a Sunday morning. And, and I just, and I'd have to explain to my housemates and they'd be like, oh, you're doing the Christian thing again. And kind of make fun of me and things. Um, and yeah, so it's just like this battle constantly. Like, um, and then at some point about February, I just turned 21 that December. Um, I found myself in like a situation like where I was trying like the two lives were just kind of like going side by side. I was like starting to get to know some of the Christians um, and Chris and his friends from the CU. But then I was also kind of still doing my thing and leading my other life. Um, and then one day I went to one Sunday, I was, I went to bridge and um, I mean, every time I went to bridge, I was like in tears. I mean, I just, it was because I hadn't really had a church home before bridge honestly became like my immediately like my church home because the way that Bill preached was exactly what I needed to hear. Like I just heard what I heard was God loves you. He has forgiven you. He wants you as part of his family. He Whatever you've done, it doesn't matter. Like, I just, like, I know some people, like, I listened to Cheryl's podcast a few weeks ago and how she said when she first came to Bridge, like, she felt like she was being kind of, like, shouted at or, like, judged. And I think it's whatever our heart is telling us, isn't it? Like, it's whatever the spirit is trying to teach us, like, trying to get across to us. Yeah. And um, because what I heard was you are completely welcome here. You are accepted. Um, and, and it just completely broke me. Um, and so one Sunday I went with the CU, everyone from CU who was at bridge went back to the Bygroves for lunch. And then all afternoon we were like singing songs and, um, it was like old songs that I had remembered from my childhood, but I hadn't been singing for years. Um, and I went home, went to my like student house that night. And I just like said to my housemates, like I, well, like, it wasn't really my housemates that I told. It was the guy that I was like seeing at the time. Um, I phoned him and said, this happened and it felt like coming home and that's the life I want now. And he was like, oh, so I guess you know that I'm never going to be part of that, don't you? I'm never going to go to church and do the God thing. And I was like, well, yeah, obviously I know. <laughs> That's why I'm telling you. Like, um, And so we broke up and it was just like a symbol of like, that phone call was like the, the turning point. Like I put down the phone and I felt like a burden had been lifted and I knew that I wasn't going to go back um, to my old ways. I just... I knew that something had changed and because Chris and I were already like friends at this point I texted him immediately after that phone call and said I've just broken up with him and he texted back and said nice one and 
and that was the beginning of of Chris and I getting to know each other I guess like um I felt like I would probably have to wait a while to kind of sort myself out to kind of prove whether or not I was going to be a good Christian girl that was good enough for Christoph Power. And I thought, surely I'm going to have to go through some time of like, you know, being alone and like, um, you know, so many Christian girls would be, you know, complaining about, oh, I can't find a boyfriend and there's no good Christian. So I thought, well, I don't deserve a boyfriend, obviously, because of the way I've lived my life. So God's going to like give me punishment for that and make sure that I'm not, that I don't have anybody um, for a while. But deep down, I, I just knew that there was something there um, with Christoph. Um, and yeah, and it, so it didn't take very long. So like a month later, we were a couple. Um, and Chris was just like the, he was like the epitome of showing Christ-like love and like unconditional love and acceptance. Yeah, like he was very much part of my journey, my spiritual journey. And it, sometimes I feel like I should separate the two like well in my own walk with God and so I should share the testimony without him being part of it and yet he was so the way that he like loved me and accepted me um regardless of my past and regardless of what I was still struggling with um was just so powerful. It was just like what I needed. Um, it just, it made me realize like, well, God must love me this much that he's completely broken into my life and with so much grace. And that's when I first really experienced grace. Like he not only is not punishing me, but he's also given me this amazing friend um, and like turned my life around basically. It's an incredible testimony. Um, I'm sure loads of loads of people will relate to, to different aspects of, of what you've been saying. Um, certainly in terms of, you know, I, I've been bad, so God's not going to... He, he needs to punish me, you know, be, because of that badness. And then what we actually find is, is grace and mercy and the way those two things go together. So not only does... God forgive us, he then gives to us, which is, you know, incredible, isn't yeah. it? Um, and that, so I think that, that that relating of that story is inc incredibly powerful. Um, and obviously still has a, a profound effect on you, even now. Yeah. Um, it's, I mean, yeah, it was obviously a long time ago now, like nearly 17 years. Um, 
and yet and obviously god has you know taught me other things since then and there's been plenty of ups and downs but um it's really when i look back at what happened and the way i was living my life and what could have ended up happening to me um I just, it really feels like God broke in. Like it, he didn't wait for me to kind of go back to him. He really just broke in and almost like wooed me back to himself. Um, so like my favorite verse in the whole Bible is when the prodigal son goes back home. And, um, you know, it says while he was still a long way off, the dad saw him and ran to him and embraced him and that that to me just is exactly what happened um yeah it's such, um, a, such a beautiful picture of of grace isn't it and, and mercy that yeah uh, sometimes these things aren't easy to share like you know you you're going back and going over things that are difficult so I really appreciate I always say to folks it's a it's a privilege for me to to be able to sit with folks and and to hear their their testimony to to God's goodness and it's it's true that when people listen that you know God speaks through other people's stories that's that's a fact and we're all on a journey um, and we're all at different stages of that journey so perhaps now you could uh, talk about something that you're passionate about now so you've got you're in i know you know chris told us about the situation what what the job is like and what stuff is like now for you so we don't necessarily need to to go over that but maybe talk about something that you've you've developed an interest and a passion for i guess it was two just over two years ago um while we were still on the island um I did an online like um, workshop, like it was it was recommended that all of the anyone in any kind of like team leadership position or anything within our organization did this um, coaching workshop online, um, and it was just basically like a taster course into how to use coaching skills um, like good listening skills and asking good questions. Um, how to use that in in your your role of um, yeah leading a team or mentoring people um, and I was really skeptical about it <laughs> I've been so like quite lonely on the island um, and it was always quite a struggle to kind of feel like we were doing something that was making a difference um, or um yeah i guess just feeling like we had it was hard to feel like we had a role that we were actually good at or doing well um and when i started doing the coaching i was all of a sudden like chatting to people online from all over the world and it was so refreshing for me to have that kind of outlet of um just not being stuck in our island um, world um, with only like our neighbors and the people that we were trying to kind of reach out to and um, learn from and learn their culture and learn their language and be part of them. But we always felt like it was like 
you know, we were never quite getting there because um, learning language is just it's never ending. And um, and then there'd be a team. And but then once I was able to like chat to other people outside of that situation, I just felt like I don't know. It just helps me have a space to kind of. I, so as I was being coached by other people and coaching them, I kind of felt like I had a space to like express myself and talk through things without being judged or wondering what they're going to think. Um, a place where it was like really concentrated on, okay, what are you going to do about this now? Um, not just a conversation that you have with friends and um, you know, it doesn't necessarily lead to anything productive. Um, and then as I was coaching others, I could see immediately how much it helped. And I thought, oh, I could do this actually. Like maybe, maybe this is, um, something that I could do more of. So then I started pursuing the like certification process and, um, just, yeah, doing more and more of it and doing the, the training courses and logging my hours and, um, the more I did it, the more I loved it, and yeah, and it's been now really a huge part of my role here in Nairobi because as we're kind of working for the southern region, um, it's it's just totally different. Like then on the island, it was like our role was to kind of be with the people and get to know them. And that was really the, the main purpose, even though we might do other things as well. But here, our main purpose is really to support and encourage the other workers. And so coaching is a huge part of that. Um, and so I guess I kind of feel now like what I want, what I'm doing, <laughs> what I'm doing is genuinely what I'm meant to be doing, if that makes sense. Yeah. Whereas before, yeah. it was always like, yeah, but how much are we really doing what we're meant to be doing? Like, there was always this kind of, like, disconnect and almost, like, um, how much can we be honest about, like, the real reason why we're there? And um, it, was, it was just always, like, a little bit of tension. Whereas now we can be, yeah. <laughs> Um, I don't know if that makes sense. Like, no, it does, yeah, totally. I think lots of people can relate to the, am I doing what I should be doing? Is, you know, or is, am I doing what I'm doing for the right reasons? And I think when you can find that place where you, number one, you're doing, you feel and you believe that you're doing what God wants you to do, that, that sense of being, of feeling settled in, in God's will, I'm, I'm the I'm doing the the you know do justly love mercy walk humbly with God so that that might be my personal relationship with with Jesus, but then the idea that my uh, my day to day job if you like in a Christian organisation to get that sense of yeah this is what it's not only what I should be doing but it's it's feeling the value in that and the contribution that you then making feels significant and worthwhile yeah yeah exactly so like as we were working through whether we should leave the island or not we felt like god was kind of saying to us you know it, it's okay like it's okay for your job not be reaching the unreached 
because we had kind of had it ingrained into us that like that's the only thing worth doing almost like especially for us like we felt like and so we really needed to step back and take a look at that and be like well no like discipling others is also valuable work and caring for others is also valuable work and um and yeah we feel much more kind of um yeah settled in it i guess That's, it's good to, it's, it's good to think of because you it would be easy for your identity to be tied up in that role on the island like this is what we should do and if we're not doing that then we're not doing anything worthwhile mm-hmm. so having that kind of stepping back and like that is something I can do but it's not me it's, mm-hmm. it doesn't define me but it's something I can do so mm-hmm. when you get to that point where you're not defined by what you do. You're defined by your identity is in Christ. Then when you're doing what you do, it doesn't define you. It, it comes out of your relationship with Jesus, I think. That's how I, I, I picture it. Yeah. So I feel really, honestly, like for want of a better word, I, I just feel really blessed like to be able to do something that I love doing. And that I feel like... like who I am as a Christian comes into my coaching. So most of the people I coach, um, I'm trying to think now, I guess probably almost all, yeah, are Christians. They're mostly within our organization. So obviously they are. Um, But then I coach a few people outside it as well. Um, And I've never wanted, well, not never, like, I like the idea of opening it up more so that it's not only Christians, because I think that, you know, asking questions that get people to explore what's really important to them and what their values are can really stir something in them as they reflect um, on what matters in life. So um, I would love it. I would love to be in a place one day where like I have coaching clients that are from all walks of life and all different backgrounds. Yeah, at the moment it is almost entirely Christians and I think I've seen it be a place where in the middle of those conversations or those like coaching sessions, um, God really uses it to like prompt something in people um, just by giving them a a place to talk through things that's... um, yeah obviously confidential and um gonna i'm gonna maybe ask some questions that are a bit more probing than other people might because um for uh, me listening to you that's like a reflection though of your encounter with that lady at that meeting where mm. she 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 gave you what you needed at the, the right place at the right time and she said you know the right thing um so I think I think you're right. That can have a profound impact on people, um, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it's it had a profound impact on you. You know. Mm-hmm. No, I was just going to say that's really interesting that you've made that connection because yeah, I think what she did was 
she she reflected back to me some of the like the deep hurt that or the the struggle the the whatever it was sadness I don't know um she 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 saw that in me and so she responded like sympathetically and said like I can see that it's hard um and when someone does that to you like when they see you and they acknowledge what it is that you're showing them even if you're not being very even if you're just like yeah uh, in tears and not actually articulating anything when people tell you what they see it really helps you also realize oh yeah this is what's going on right now um this is the place that i'm in and where do i want to go next and that that conversation started that journey that ended you know, with that mm-hmm. that significant phone call, you know, you've mentioned the, that verse in the in the prodigal son story. Have you got any other um, verses or songs or a book you'd like to recommend or anything like that before we finish off? So yeah, that verse is always the first one that comes to mind when people ask, like, "What's your favourite verse?" Um, but also the verse in Hebrews where it's like he's. He's the author and and he's the author and perfecter of our faith, um, because it just reminds me that like it's him who started it, it's him who's going to finish it, um, and then obviously in that verse as well is like for the joy that's set before him, he endured the cross, and so I think it's a really good reminder that it's okay, like focusing on joy is a really good thing and often in christian circles and in christian work we're kind of we're kind of fed this idea that like we we should suffer and we should make sacrifices um and yes like those like struggles are going to come but it's okay to desire joy like and to desire like all the goodness and gifts of heaven and part of you know the part of the blessing as Christians is that we have some of the experience of heaven on earth because we're already in our relationship with him and so I love the fact that that verse not only says like you can he's the author and the and the perfecter of your faith but also you can look look towards joy and that helps you in endure the, the hard times um I love that yeah um, I have other verses as well that I noted down just in case you ask. <laughs> no, that's good. <laughs> Especially in relation, in relation to your whole story, that that kind of is a is a really kind of neat bow on it, if you like. That um, it is, it is Jesus is the author and perfected. Because if it was down to us, we would be, you know, absolutely miles away, lost and and hopeless and. You know, the story of the good shepherd, the, Jesus goes after the one, you know, and no matter what we think of ourselves, we're, we are always the one because God deals in individual lives of, of people and, you know, lo- looking beyond your immediate circumstances and looking to Jesus. That's how that verse starts, isn't it? Looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith before the joy set before him, I think is a really is a really brilliant way to, um, and maybe may intentional, maybe unintentional, but it kind of really puts a underlining from your from your story. Uh, I would say. Mm. Yeah, that's a nice way to put it. 
Yeah. So thanks so much for your time um, and, and for sharing that with us. It's a privilege for me to be able to, to sit and listen to, to people's stories. It's, uh, it's really encouraging. Um, and it's also really encouraging to see what you, you know, just an, av- an average teenager with those same difficulties and struggles, feeling really bad, but then coming through that, being used by God, and then finding now real sense of, of fulfillment in, in serving Jesus the way you are. That's, that's really encouraging. So thanks so much. Yes. Thanks so much. Well, for thanks, for, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's been good. Chris said it was going to be therapeutic to talk to you. <laughs> <I'm welcome. laughs> As it was, yeah. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, so it's really nice to see you. Thank you for your time. And uh, we look forward to catching up with you again. Uh, okay. Maybe I'll maybe move you on together next time. That would be fun. <laughs> Take care. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. you Bye soon. now. Thanks. Bye. 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 Well, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of The Bridge Podcast. If you've got comments, suggestions or questions for us, please feel free to send them in to podcast at bridgechapel.co.uk and we'll respond to all those emails and try and incorporate any suggestions into future shows. To get as many people as possible to hear this podcast, if you like and subscribe to it on your podcast provider, that'll really help. So thanks again. Hope you enjoyed this episode and look forward to you joining us next week on The Bridge Podcast.